This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Day. One thing that is not different about political conventions this year is that the parties are providing valuable national airtime to candidates for office whom they want to succeed. The candidates get exposure and are linked to the spectacle of the convention as well as the presidential nominee. It seems like a fairly easy transaction there for people you want to help. There are exceptions, though. Sometimes the candidate doesn't necessarily want to be associated with all that, particularly the nominee. Maybe some of the people they are trying to get to vote for them don't like the party or the nominee. So here at Roll Call, we've been watching, looking at who's been appearing at these unique conventions in the time of COVID. And joining me to talk about this are Herb Jackson, our political editor, and Bridget Bowman, our senior political writer. Welcome, both of you, to Political Theater. Well, oh, thanks for having us. Thank you. So um, let's let's talk about uh, let's let's start with the Republicans. We'll go back and forth on, on, on some of this, but let's start about uh, talking about the Republican convention because that's where we're at right now. And Bridget, the race that you have been covering for quite some time now. I, re- I recall last year this time we were in Iowa and you were talking to uh, Teresa Greenfield, who was running in the primary against Senator Joni Ernst, as well as Senator Joni Ernst about the upcoming Senate race. And here we are a year later. Joni Ernst is uh, speaking at the Republican convention. She's got a, a nice uh, a bit of airtime in the in the evening on Wednesday night. This is interesting because like she is the only you know vulnerable Republican running for the Senate who is going to be speaking in in such a slot is uh, like let's let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that's right. Um, folks I've been talking to in the state, Democrats in particular, are kind of perplexed as to why she's participating in the convention, um, in part because their case against her is that she's become a creature of Washington and a partisan politician. And from their perspective, her appearance at the convention plays right into that. Uh, but Republicans I've been talking to have been pointing out that They still expect the president to carry Iowa. He won it by nine points in 2016, and they do expect it to be a lot closer in 2020. Public polling right now, he's about a point ahead on average, according to Real Clear Politics. Um, But this could be a... her appearing at the convention could be an attempt to appeal to those base Trump supporters, and she really needs to run up the score in the rural parts of her state to win statewide. Yeah, I mean, and maybe that's one of the things that sort of caught all of our eyes, right? Is that um, typically, if there's even a, if if you're in a swing kind of state, in Iowa, uh, even though it went for fairly heavily to the president in 2016, I mean, it, Barack Obama won it twice, and uh, and it is one of those swingy places. Um, you know, her we're used to seeing 
uh, people who are who are have anything to lose to kind of shy away from these conventions, right? <laughs> well, yeah, but the, the other advantage they have this year is that it's not that they're flying to another city and spending a week hanging out, having dinner, going to you know going out for drinks and you know being behind closed doors and hobnobbing and things like that. Uh, they're, 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 they can do these things by a remote or they can you know mail it in. Now, the downside of that, as our Nathan Gonzalez reported, is when you go and do these things and you get your moment in the spotlight, there's also like the tour through the executive suites in the arena that, you know, you get to meet lots of people who can write $2,800 checks or host you at their company where all of their employees will write $2,800 checks. So you don't get that upside if you're doing a virtual convention. And and Bridget, uh, real quickly about the 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 Democratic convention, which concluded last week. Uh, I mean, a little different approach. You know, the 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 Democrats and Republicans have have chosen to stage it a little differently. Um, the the Democrats had more kind of events that were out in people's districts and states. There's a little there's a little bit more uh, of a centralized feel. I feel like with the with the Republican convention, but we did see one uh, vulnerable senator, actually the most vulnerable senator, according to our and and Nathan's rankings, uh, who spoke at the Democratic convention. I'm Senator Doug Jones from the great state of Alabama. Growing up in the South meant growing up in the midst of stark divisions. But it was here in Alabama where Rosa Parks helped ignite a movement by refusing to give up her seat on a bus, where freedom riders of different races came together in pursuit of equality. And it was here in Alabama where John Lewis marched across a bridge toward freedom. Yes, we did see Alabama Democratic Senator Doug Jones get a little over two minutes of prime time as a speaking slot at the Democratic convention. Uh, Republicans kind of cynically look at that as him trying to build up his credentials in the party as expecting him to lose in November uh, to kind of build his national profile in case that happens. Um, There are Democrats, though, that still think there might be a a path to victory for him, but he needs Republicans. He needs to win over Republicans to win in that state. So it was interesting to see him also, similarly to Ernst, kind of tied to the National Party. Um, But campaign strategists often also point out that the opposing party is going to tie you to the National Party anyway. So, you know, why, why not get a fundraising boost or some kind of profile boost out of it? Right. Yeah. No. Nobody's going to. Uh, I mean, say like, oh, okay. He wasn't at the convention. Uh, he must. Uh, we're going to give him a pass on uh, tying him to the right. to the party. <laughs> right. um, one thing we have seen, uh, Bridget, is is that there are a couple of of uh, vulnerable or either vulnerable incumbents or candidates who are in competitive races who have been appearing in kind of like the pre. Evening festivities, uh, if if you will. There's this uh, this channel you can see it on YouTube that the Republican National Committee is is sponsoring, and we, we've seen a couple of folks either be on the schedule or pop up. And one of them is John James, who's running uh, against Senator Gary Peters in Michigan. In 2020, we have a choice: to stand up and use our voices and our votes to defend our constitutional republic, or to concede quietly to a leftist movement willing to tear it down piece by piece. Thank you. God bless you, and God bless America. Peters is Democrat; he's the incumbent, and um, and James is challenging him after coming short two years ago against Debbie Stabenow. 
Yeah, that's right. Um, Michigan is sort of slipping out of Republicans' hands a little bit. Uh, the president carried it narrowly in 2016, and Democrats are feeling pretty confident that not only will Biden win it, but Senator Gary Peters will be reelected. Um, Peters actually was also featured in the convention, the Democratic convention last week. He was part of that roll call vote uh, from Michigan. So, yeah, this is definitely a top Senate race for Republicans. James is considered a, a really strong recruit, but just the state dynamics make it kind of tough for Republicans there. And, and Herb, uh, I, I think uh, you, know, you, were, you and I were, were uh, joking about this, uh, this like sort of thing that we kind of all just discovered, you know, that, that there was this channel. We didn't know about it. Like it hadn't, there hadn't been a ton of attention about it. C-SPAN wasn't running it uh, and was like, oh, wait, all these people are talking it. But it's almost like the afternoon program and in the, in the in-person conventions that we're used to, right? Yeah, there used to be like a, a you know, a three to five o'clock kind of session and then another evening program. And I remember covering one convention where, you know, the guy from my state, New Jersey, was speaking and suddenly the New Jersey section is filled with people carrying signs saying, Pascal, Pascal. And five seconds later, there's no one sitting there, but they're all over in the New Hampshire section cheering for somebody else. And there was just like this group of about 30 Democrats that would go from state to state area so that they could be on the B-roll when this person got up to give their four minute speech, I'm really not sure about this whole, like, let's do a YouTube video that even C-SPAN doesn't carry because I, I, it's, I guess it's to be able to say, maybe you're, maybe you're putting something in there that people who really care, you know, like the activists can pick mm -hmm. up, but you know, wouldn't they already know about you already? I, I don't, I, I, it's just puzzling to me. And maybe you know this is something that people can can go back and and check out in in at another time back when we're all catching up right on our reading or our viewing. <laughs> um, so so Bridget, like uh, of one of the things that you know I, I I'm just struck by is the number of the number of people in competitive races. And granted, like there there are more Republicans up uh, in this cycle. There are more Republicans in competitive races in this cycle. But they are, uh, with the exception of Joni Ernst, uh, a lot of these incumbents are just nowhere to be found, including Tom Tillis. Uh, you know, I mean, there are reports of, you know, he'll be somewhere uh, in some at some point, but we haven't been able to knock it down. But I mean, the convention is taking place in Charlotte, and he is from North Carolina, and it's hard to find him. Yeah, our colleague uh, Kate Ackley is actually just reporting that uh, Tillis is expected to be in person for the president's speech on Thursday in D.C. Um, so he, you know, clearly is going to be vehemently supporting the president again in a top Senate race, a very competitive race uh, for the presidential battleground as well. Um, but yeah, that's a that's an interesting point that senators are sort of doing their own thing, but we have seen a number of them participating in these pre-convention show videos that you've been talking about, like a one-minute candidate spotlight kind of explaining who they are, likely, I'm assuming, to party activists and, and other folks who are looking to get involved. And, and we, may, we may be giving them too much credit for forethought on this, you know? Like, they may have gotten the people who were available when they needed them to shoot a video. I mean, we saw reports on Friday, I believe it was Friday, where first Mitch McConnell says he's not speaking, and then two hours later they say, well, you know what, the president called him and he is speaking. So it's not like there was this grand strategy where they sat down with the NRSC and the NRCC and said, all right, now who do we need to promote and do they fit on Tuesday 
or do they fit on Thursday? It, it is not like that kind of convention. Because that's what organized political parties do. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, and, and again, they, uh, you, we can debate which, which convention seems to be smoother. There's actually like some debate that, you know, the Republicans have gotten a more consistent messaging, but let's go back to just talk about some of these candidates though. Um, among Bridget, before we uh, pivot to the house, which is, I think has got some really interesting folks who are, who are appearing or not appearing uh, at the, at the convention. Um, the list of people in competitive races in the Senate Republicans who are not there includes Tillis, Corey Gardner, Steve Daines, and Susan Collins, who may be in one of the the, the toughest races that she's ever faced. Uh, she is is not there, and you know hasn't even said whether she's supporting the president or not for re-election. Yeah, that's right. She and Gardner are the two Senate Republicans who are running in states that Clinton won in 2016. So it's not really that surprising to me, at least, that they're not really featured at the convention, although Gardner was featured in that pre-show convention, uh, pre-convention show that we've been talking about as sort of a two-minute just video that his campaign launched a year ago uh, was run during that program. But yeah, it's it's not that surprising because in those states, uh, they're trying to appeal to swing voters, independent voters. They can't win on just Republicans alone. All right, let's talk about the House. Um, on on Monday evening, you know, some of the uh, programming appeared to be, you know, to to show that the Republican Party there is room for for you know diverse candidates uh, for people who are not just the the sort of the, uh, the what Democrats have criticized them being as just this sort of the the party of of white uh, privilege, if if you will, in in some ways, and so uh, there. There was a uh, one one of the candidates uh, who was featured uh, is uh, Kim Klasik in in Baltimore. She's running for a uh, uh, the seat that Elijah Cummings used to have uh, before he died, and then Kwasi Mufumi has won that and beat Klasik in a special election in April. The days of blindly supporting the Democrats are coming to an end. In Baltimore, we have the highest number of Black Republicans in the entire country running for office this election cycle. Joe Biden believes we can't think for ourselves, that the color of someone's skin dictates their political views. We're not buying the lies anymore. You and your party have neglected us for far too long. It's a little odd, I think, because she's probably, I mean, she's a, a serious underdog, but they gave her like good, a good speaking slot to make her case. I mean, right? Her being included was kind of striking. She lost uh, the special election for that district by almost 50 points. This is a really democratic district. So it was interesting that Republicans were highlighting her. They, in the Trump campaign, also called her as, you know, one of the potential rising stars to come out of the convention. Um, But, you know, why feature her over another woman candidate who's in a district that the president carried by a sizable margin that they need to flip to have any hope of winning back the House? Um, I'm not sure why uh, she was featured over some of those candidates, but it is interesting. Sure. Um, yes, and some of the other folks that are on the program uh, include, you know, some people who are are in tough races, and and they're you know they they either get along really well with the president, or they're like you know effective as just as good like sort of communicators or symbols of of the party. This includes Dan Crenshaw, a Texas Republican. Uh, he's a, a war hero. Um, he's been on Saturday Night Live, uh, and, uh, and Lee Zeldin. But what's interesting is that they're, they're Republican incumbents. The, the Republicans are in the minority in the House already, and they're, they're potentially vulnerable. So what kind of, what kind of sign is that 
like sending if like they're they're not even able to f- feature people who are on the offense as much for some of these house seats. Yeah, it is interesting. It seems to speak more to like you were saying featuring members of Congress who are staunch allies of the president. Um, but Crenshaw and Zeldin, who you mentioned, are both being targeted by the DCCC uh, this election cycle, although they are both in districts that the president carried. Uh, he carried Crenshaw's district by nine points, Zeldin's district by 12. So it might not be a problem for them to be associated with the president. I think, broadly speaking, Republicans' theory of their victory potentially flipping the House is that the president being on the ballot this year as opposed to 2018 is going to bring out all of those hardcore Trump supporters that didn't turn out in 2018. Uh, that obviously remains to be to be seen in a couple months if that actually happens. But it is certainly interesting to see them featured. And they're there to try and play up strengths that they think that, that the president's campaign thinks will help him. Not necessarily on the, you know, the eastern shore of Long Island, but, you know, in other states where Lee Zeldin talking might be something, a message that they want to get across. Well, and, you know, strong on Israel. I mean, Lee Zeldin's been very much uh, like a, you know, a a messenger on how, like, strong an ally the president is of Israel. Um, I mean, that, that, that kind of makes sense. It is just interesting that they're, these are guys who are paying defense uh and and it's uh you'd think that you'd want to see some of the people on offense and uh speaking before we leave new york uh in that uh elise stefanik uh, who's a republican congresswoman from upstate new york uh she was one of the president's uh, uh defenders on impeachment one of the more vociferous ones so she she has a speaking slot um and and has proven herself to be a good ally of the president someone who is not on the any kind of speaking slot, also a republic former Republican congresswoman from upstate New York, Claudia Tenney. She lost in 2018. Uh, her district is is very you know it, it leans Republican for sure, and she's seeking a rematch with Congressman uh, Anthony Brindisi, a Democrat who knocked her off in 2018. Uh, like I was up in upstate New York last week. The signs have like the president and Claudia Tenney both giving the thumbs up. Uh, you know she was very much a defender of him, and she's nowhere to be seen. And she's somebody who is potentially on offense, whereas Stefanik has a somewhat safer seat. I mean, it's a weird choice, I think. Yeah, and to what we were saying earlier about the benefits of being at the convention, she is also at a financial disadvantage in in her race. Uh, Brindisi, like other freshman House Democrats, has been a really strong fundraiser, and uh, Tenney is lagging behind him. So it is interesting. She could benefit from maybe a fundraising boost that comes with being in the national spotlight uh, but Stefanik, as you mentioned, was a really strong ally of the president, especially during impeachment. And so it seems like their Trump campaign is intent on on highlighting some of those folks this week. I think one of the only races where we've seen the candidate from both parties featured at the convention uh, is, is in Pennsylvania, the, the 17th district in Pennsylvania. This is in the Pittsburgh suburbs. It's represented by a Democrat, Connor Lamb, who won a special election before getting a full term in 2018. Uh, he defeated um, uh, Congressman Keith Rothfuss uh, in 2018, and he's got a, a real race on his hands in Sean Parnell. So Connor Lamb was part of the the Democratic Convention. I, it's weird to say convention. I want to. I want to do. I want to use air quotes. You know, <laughs> uh, in, in this. But he was featured, and then uh, Sean Parnell, his Republican uh, opponent, was also uh, a part of the the Republican stuff. I watched with alarm as the party of my grandfather, a lifelong Union Democrat, turned against the very people it professed to represent. 
I watched as Joe Biden spit venom at an auto worker who dared to question Joe's intent to dismantle the Second Amendment and take your guns. Where Democrats once stood for hardworking, law-abiding Americans who displayed our flag with pride, this new Democrat Party considers these people uneducated racists clinging to guns and Bibles. Talk about that race a little bit, Bridget. Yeah, it was really interesting to see the same battle down, battleground House district highlighted in both conventions, as you mentioned. Uh, Connor Lamb, I wasn't that surprised to see him featured in the Democratic convention because he has been really tied to Biden since his special election in 2018. Uh, this, just to give a little background, so Pennsylvania's congressional map was redrawn in 2018. When Connor Lamb ran in the special election, he won a district that the president Trump carried by 20 points. And he brought Biden to that district for that election to really rally union supporters. And so uh, Lamb was also early to endorse Biden during the primary. So it wasn't super surprising that uh, he was highlighted there. But when the map was redrawn, Connor Lamb decided to run in the district in the pits that became much more suburban in the Pittsburgh suburbs. And had the new map been in place in 2016, President Trump would have carried this district by two points. Uh, so it's a really competitive, much more even district than his his previous one where he won the special. Um, and the decision to highlight Sean Parnell at the Republican convention, Parnell interestingly didn't mention that he's running for Congress in his speech, uh, but certainly, certainly elevated his national profile. Uh, just shows in, in talking to some Pennsylvania strategists who are kind of familiar with the Pittsburgh area and Western Pennsylvania shows that both presidential campaigns are not only targeting Pennsylvania and consider that a top battleground, but also Western Pennsylvania in particular, which has heavy union support, but also that suburban nature where Democrats are really making gains. So this is going to be kind of an interesting, uh, an interesting look to see how both parties are trying to speak to this one district and in, in the national spotlight. And uh, we, we've saved the best for last, New Jersey. <laughs> Herb, just for you, we're going to talk about uh, Jeff Van Drew, the uh, Democratic congressman turned Republican congressman uh, late last year. Uh, he uh, w- uh, you know, won in 2018 as a Democrat and then uh, you know, not, not, not quite halfway through his, his, his first full term, switched to the Republican Party. He has a spot speaking on Thursday night uh, before the president does. Uh, let's let's talk about let's talk about Mr. Van or sorry, Dr. Dranvu, right? He, he's a, he's the, a the den- dapper he, dentist, yeah. Yes, he's a dentist. <laughs> yeah, I mean that race is definitely one. There's a there's a Kennedy who won the primary uh, who's running now against him. Uh, it's the wife of former Congressman Patrick Kennedy named Amy Kennedy. She she was a school teacher from South Jersey after he left Congress. He, they, they settled uh, uh, there on the Jersey Shore, the lower part of the Jersey Shore. Um, and, you know, Van Drew was a legislator who was always one of the more conservative Democrats in Trenton uh, and was the, the right fit that when Democrats got him to run for the seat Frank Lobiondo gave up in 2018. Uh, they, they often wanted him to run against Lobiondo in other years, and he didn't want to. But, of course, we go through 2019 impeachment comes up, he had come into office saying he didn't think Democrats should impeach Trump because it would only fire up his base. He looked at the numbers, I guess, and decided, hey, they're fired up. I'll get on their side. And now the Democrats are trying to take him out. So I'm assuming he's going to make some sort of impeachment argument there. 
that, you know, and if you can make it as a Republican in a state where before he, he flipped was 11 to one in the house delegation, Democrats to Republicans. Now he's the second Republican. It's not that democratic a state, but it's just the way the seats broke in 2018. He's, he's going to be really, you know, in a tough fight, but he could win it again, uh, which would, you know, give them a foothold in there because, but you know, it, it is definitely something where you would not normally see a New Jersey Republican speaking at a Republican convention, other than, you know, Chris Christie, who wants to be president. So I, I appreciate you, you all uh, breaking down these races. Uh, Bridget, uh, you know, the, the, you have a, so many races to keep track of. I don't know how you do it, but uh, I, I really appreciate you uh, sort of running down some of this stuff. And I know that it, um, is, it has been... <laughs> Uh, it, it has been even more challenging than before when we can't really be on the ground as much as we have been to, to cover these virtually and finding these like sort of weird, uh, parts of the internet where <laughs> like people are talking for two minutes at a time on a, on, uh, you know, like along with Wayne and Garth, you know, from Wayne's World. Uh, yeah, but today sort of- we can have Bridget do another story <laughs> rather than waiting for her to drive back from Conway's <laughs> district today. Great. <laughs> Sounds That's good. true. Well, we all are working longer, but, but thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Bridget, for uh, for walking us through this. Thank you, Herb, uh, for uh, you know, like making sure that uh, we are always informed about New Jersey, of course. Uh, and uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll see where this all leads uh, at, at the end of this convention. I think we're going to be studying it for a long time. Sounds good. Thanks, Jason. No self serve. No self serve. <laughs> 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 